Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host, Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area. We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I'm 42, and I have two sons, Alexandre and Nathan, making me a busy mom of two under two. <laughs> Today, uh, we are talking about tempers, tantrums, and tears. So let's go around the table and introduce ourselves. Hello everyone, my name is Heather Fox and I'm the co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old and I have a son named Hudson who is a year and a half. Hi everyone, my name is Bridget Miller. I have two girls of my own who are now teenagers. I have a background in education, special education and psychology and I have a private practice here in Port Moody helping parents and educators make sense of their children and their lives. Well, thank you, ladies, for being here. So, Bridget, at what age do tantrums typically begin? Well, tantrums are fueled by frustration, and that means that we're going to see them from very beginning in tiny little babies. Um, from the minute they're born, we'll see expressions of frustration, and those things will persist way into, well, every single age. Um, we tend to think that frustration is something that's going to go away, but it actually doesn't. So it's very typical to see it in tiny babies. The manifestations are a little bit different in the sense that small children in their crib might you know, resort to screaming in frustration um, and sometimes might even move into things like head banging. But it's coming from that place of frustration. And then it just starts looking different as the children get a bit older or they become adults and express it themselves. <laughs> yes, I've noticed that my one-year-old is... Well, I've, since he's turned one, I almost like it's probably like one of those developmental leaps. And I've definitely noticed a bit of a difference in the way he's expressing his frustration and almost like anger. And when he doesn't get something he wants, that's kind of the biggest thing where he didn't used to care. We could easily distract. And all of a sudden now it goes right to, you know, like a frustrated cry, yell, and to almost like hitting and pinching and that sort of thing. And I'm definitely when he's hungry and tired, I'm seeing those kind of emotions come out for sure well developmentally i'm happy to say he's right on track (laughs) (laughs) there's the positive silver lining (laughs) if he wasn't showing those signs of frustration we would wonder why not because it is a natural thing in us when we are frustrated we need to express it and in tiny little people it tends to be what would be considered very um, inappropriate behavior the hitting the screaming the pinching All those things that we don't want as parents need to be there because it's a form of communication. Mm -hmm. But we can get very upset with them and we can be very spooked by it because we think that this, if they're doing it now and we don't stamp it out, it's going to be around for a lot longer. Well, when you get a car in the face, you know, it's kind (laughs) of... Yeah, that's pretty upsetting. (laughs) It's hard to be, no problem, honey. (laughs) No, no, we don't have to. It's not, no, it's not what we say in our house. (laughs) So what's really going on for a child having a temper or tantrums? Well, that's the best part to start with. When we consider that it's an expression of frustration, it tells us what it is that we need to be dealing with. So this is not a badly behaved child. This is not an out of control child in the sense that we think we have to jump on it in order to do something. What it is an indication that 
is a frustration moving through the emotional system and it's erupting. And that's really key for parents to understand when we see a temper tantrum, what it really is is an invitation to us to help them to manage their emotional systems. When we jump in and try and shut it down, we misread it, thinking that this is inappropriate or undesirable behavior, which in, of course society looks at it as that, but it's up to us to help them to move through it so that they can express themselves in ways that don't hurt themselves or others or things. So when we're talking about a temper tantrum, what we're really seeing is communication from the child. Obviously in younger children, they don't yet have the benefit of language and they can't fully express what they're experiencing on the inside into words, but they're also not in a position to really be able to always identify the feeling that they've got inside of them. When they're frustrated for us, it's up to us to read it and say, something's not working for this child. They don't know what it is. It could be because mommy said no, or daddy said there's no more time, or it could be getting sick, not feeling very well, having a sore tummy, but it's the frustration that comes out that gives us the clues as to what's happening for them on the inside. You know when you take something away, because let's say they grab something that is uh, not child-friendly, and of course that leads to an outburst, mm -hmm. so what do you do? And that, as a parent, is our responsibility. Yeah. We need to keep them safe and we have to have limits and restrictions in order to keep them safe and to teach them right from wrong. But it starts with us acknowledging that this is a child who, when we say no, doesn't like the experience of being told no. So they're being moved emotionally because of the discomfort of the word no or an indication of mommy or daddy that this is not going to work. So what do we do? Are we going to get to that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how can I handle our child's emotional outburst? Okay. Well, the first thing I would say to any parent, and this is a tough one, is to remain as calm as you can. Um, when we've had repeated temper tantrums or outbursts, you know, moment after moment, day after day, it can be a big challenge to keep your own calm in those moments. But that's where it starts. Then what we're going to have to do is think of this as an opportunity to help your child to grow. We tend to have temper tantrums happen and we think, well, let's just get rid of them. And we close the door on the opportunity to teach our children how they can manage their own emotion and come out on the other side better for it. So we think we know when a child is having a temper tantrum, one of the things I like to suggest to parents is to first just contain yourself And then remind yourself, if this is hard on you, how much more difficult isn't this for the little person having the temper tantrum? And when we do that, it shifts our perspective from thinking that we are the victims in this and then it pulls our hearts out to wanting to help them. So what do we do? Well, you, you keep calm and you take the lead and you don't join in. I think that's the key to getting out the starting gates. And then what we can do is things like give them words for what they're feeling. We very often use words like you're very angry or you're very upset, but very seldom do we use the word frustration. And the reason I encourage parents to use that word is because that is the word for a root emotion. Emotion, the frustration is a root emotion. It's moving through their system. And when we remind ourselves that they're not angry kids, they're not upset kids, they're not all these names and labels, that gives us our starting point. 
our job when we're dealing with a frustrated child is to help them express themselves. We don't want to clamp down on it. What we want to do is find ways to let them express it. And there's lots we can do as parents and we can talk more about what that looks like. So when we use an example like Alex having something taken away from him, it's in the moment, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And the answer to that is to make it safe for him to express himself, but you still have to control the situation. So if he's holding something that he's going to throw across the room and hurt somebody or do some damage, of course you move in. And it's the energy you bring to it to give him that sense of, no, this is not okay. We, we can't throw cars. Mommy's going to hold on to that. And then you brace yourself because he's not going to like it. That feeling of you taking it away from him, although you're not meaning it as a punishment or a consequence, you're moving in as a responsible parent to say to him, this is not going to happen. But it's the emotional process of adapting to that feeling that is going to help him to learn his lesson in that situation. So making it safe for him to have his feelings, you need to be okay with him being mad with you, first of all, and then being okay with him when he moves to tears. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when Hudson, same thing, something is taken away or something, he's frustrated and he goes to like hit, would it be like appropriate to kind of hold his hand like and say, you know, and then the whole gentle hands kind of that sort of reaction. But I like would firmly hold his hand and just hug him. That's okay to give a firm hold. Hold. I'm not kidding. Well, you must remember we're talking about a one year old. Right. He cannot control himself in that moment. Given where his brain is in terms of its development, how he acts is how he feels. So in that moment, he is mad and he wants to hit. He doesn't yet have the capacity to have what we call, on the other hand, feelings. He doesn't yet know that he can go to this place of part of me is really mad with mommy and I want to hit her. But part of me also loves mommy and I don't want to hurt her. Developmentally, his brain isn't there yet. We'll talk a little bit more about when that will happen. So for now, your responsibility is to help him in any which way that would be. In your case, for that example, holding his hand gently but firmly and saying, no, we don't hit mummy, is exactly what he needs because you're taking care of him. You're keeping him safe. And in that way, you're making it an expression of frustration, but you're channeling it and you're helping him to move through it. So Bridget, would you respond to babies and children of different ages and so how? Um, Babies, of course, because they don't yet have language, we would use probably fewer words. Just as in the example we've used with Heather there, that your actions will speak for you. Um, When children get a little bit older, they do have the ability to understand language. But we don't want to get into a situation where there's a temper tantrum happening and you're trying to reason with them cognitively. Little children, when they're in that state, are highly alarmed. There's no way that we're going to get our message in in the moment. So we have to be very mindful of that. We don't want to start giving them the reasons this didn't work, how they could improve their behavior next time, the impact this is having on mummy, how much you're hurting my feelings, All those things that we seem to want to get into them are wasted on them. So what we do is we survive the incident. We keep them safe. As I said, we don't want them hurting themselves or each other or even us. Older children, what happens with them is they move to that place of maturity in the sense that their brain 
becomes what we call more integrated. And what this really does for them is that helps them to have the capacity to have mixed feelings. So in the incident, they're not only moved by their emotion, they can also add in another thought or feeling. So part of me might be really, really mad with mummy, but part of me knows that I don't need to hit her to help her to see what it is that I'm thinking or feeling. And that's what controls behavior in older children. So how we respond to them, it's always in the sense of it's a place of frustration, but what that looks like depends on the age of the child. So Bridget, how can I stop my child's meltdown? Well, it might surprise you to hear this, but I wouldn't suggest that you do try and stop their meltdown. What I would hope parents would do after understanding what it is that's going on for their child is help them to channel their big feelings into a way where they can see, they can feel seen, heard and understood, but in a way that we make it safe for them to express it. So when we clamp down on behavior, there are many, many different ways we can do it. We can scare our children into stopping. We can send them away from us so that they get distracted or go off and just do something else. But when we do that, we're missing an opportunity to help them to grow up. So we want to be careful about how we respond to them in those moments. To remind yourselves as well that when we're talking about temper tantrums, because it's an invitation for us to help them to adapt to what they cannot change, it's going to take some, some effort and resilience on our part. We don't want to stop a meltdown by constantly changing the environment to suit the child. We can stop a meltdown by giving them what they want, but then we've done them a disservice in the sense that the world is not going to change to suit them. And our job as parents is to prepare them for going into the world and being changed by a world that doesn't always work for them. And in that is that piece of adaption and resilience. That's what we're hoping to do in the long term. So when Hudson seems really upset and frustrated, he seems like very unsure of what he wants. And so when he's kind of crying and kind of like almost like a yelling kind of a crying frustrated um, like I pick him up, but then he acts like he doesn't want to be held. Like he'll scorpion and he'll start pinching or hitting me. So then I put him down and then he cries louder because it's like, no, I want to be held. Like, so it's just this back and forth. But then of course it becomes violent. So I find that I like, I'm trying to remain calm, but it's hard when you're being violently attacked by, <laughs> I call him my little piranha at times. <laughs> Cause it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know what? And you hold an animal and you know that they might bite you or something. Yes. Like I almost have, get fearful. I'm like, okay, you're a tiny one-year-old. And it's like, you're this little animal that like is dangerous. <laughs> so but it's like, seriously, the feeling I have, and I'm like holding them at like arm's reach. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to hurt mommy. But I, so like, I'm trying to remain calm and trying to do all these things. And so then sometimes I'm just like, and then when he does like hurt, I go, no, it hurts mommy. And so I just put him in, I'll even put him down, like not facing me. Oh, and that really makes him mad. But then, but then I keep trying to reassure him and I keep talking to him the entire time. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying to say like, I understand you're frustrated and are you tired? And, you know, can mommy help you? Mommy will hold you. Do you want hugs? I will give you cuddles. And so we kind of go through this thing, but it's like, it eventually ends, but I'm just... I don't know, is it just him going through emotions? <laughs> it's it's him being overwhelmed by his right. emotions. He is run by that emotion of he wants what he wants when he wants it. And then you realize when you sometimes give him what he wants, he still doesn't want that. 
So when we ask them questions in those moments, they sort of flip-flop between what it is that they want. You, you say, out of the kindness of your heart, what can mommy do to help you? Should I pick you up? And they say, no. Should I put you down? No. Should I pull you closer? No. Which tells us he doesn't know what he wants. Mm -hmm. So asking so many questions is lost on him. We do it from a place of good intention. Right. We're thinking, if he just tells me what he wants, I can help him. But quite honestly, he doesn't know what he wants. And asking him too many questions is more overwhelming for him. So sometimes in those situations, our best way through is to just guess what he wants. And then we have to watch our energy. If we're coming across as unsure, that feeds into the frenzy as well. So we have to find what we call our alpha position, that caring alpha that transmits the energy that says, I'm here for you. I can see you having a hard time. We're going to get through this rather than being the mummy dancing circles around him going, what can I do to help you? How can I make this stop? What can we do to make it better? You bringing that calm energy, if it means sitting with him on the floor and he's writhing, make sure you're not within arm's reach. Make sure that he can't kick you, but you're still there. Mm. And then also watch how many words are you using? Right. Sometimes less is more. Yeah. And you've got to let him move through the motions. Um, one of the things we can talk about is the value of helping our children to stay in that place of emotion and move from what we call mad to sad. When we can hold that safe space for them, which gives them that sense of this person is here for me, they get me, they're not going to give me what I want, but I am okay to feel these big feelings, their little brain can find rest in the sense that they go from being really, really mad flooded with this frustration to the feeling sinking in of mommy's not going to let me you know have that car or move that or do whatever it is I want and it moves from that place of mad to sad and in that sadness it registers for their brain that they can't always have what they want and because they've got a mummy who stays there with them helps them through it it's safe for them to have those big feelings and they can go to that place of <laughs> And then a sense of calm comes over them because they've moved through it and they haven't got stuck in it. Mm -hmm. I've seen that on the other side, yeah. There's a lot to be said for going yeah. through the motions, even as an adult. Yeah. If we've been really mad with something and we yeah. can find it in ourselves to feel the sadness in what hasn't worked, that's when we pick ourselves up and we come up with an alternative, which is the key to being adaptive. Right. That's just how we roll. Yeah. So when my child's having a tantrum, should I stop giving him attention? My mom used to do this when <laughs> we were young. If we were doing a tantrum in the candy aisle, she would just basically step over me and I was by myself if I was doing that. Very often that's a question I get because many, many parents seem to have been raised in that way. That parents would say, you know, if you're not going to behave the way I need you to, then I'm just not going to give you attention. And what that does, obviously, is work against the long-term relationship that we're wanting to have. I mean, if you think with your own partner or husband, if you were having a really hard time and he looked at you and he said, well, I'm just going to ignore you until you get your stuff together. <laughs> I don't know how well <laughs> that would work. That's not going to work because as an adult, we have a choice. In our adult relationships, we're not going to stick around with people who aren't there for us when we need them most. So we must remind ourselves with our children, they don't have the opportunity to pack their bags and leave. 
they are here with us and they don't have a choice. So when children are put in that position, they will alter their behavior in order to maintain a relationship with the person who's there to take care of them. So the question is, well, will it work? On a superficial level, yes. A child who is ignored very, very much wants to be seen and heard by their parent. So it means that they have to change their behavior in order to be in that parent's, invited into that parent's presence. In the long term, it's detrimental because it's a conditional relationship. So Bridget, I think we all heard about timeouts. So should we give them a timeout? What do you recommend? Well, timeouts, when they were initially invented, for the want of a better word, it was with the intention of putting some space between children and their parents in the moments of frustration in order to keep children safe from being physically hurt. So the thinking was, if you send a child away from you, it'll buy you some time to calm down, it'll give them some time to think about what they've done wrong, and then you can both move on from there. The understanding that's missing from that equation, especially when we're talking young children, is that our child's greatest need is for attachment and connection. So when we take that away from them, what we're doing is we're taking away from them their greatest need in order to shape their behavior. And that's why in the long term it backfires. Um, we send children away and we expect them to think about what they've done and how they could do things differently when they come back, but they actually don't. That physical separation is a highly alarming experience for a child. And what we don't always realize is the greatest source of frustration is relationships that aren't working. So what we're doing is we're actually fueling frustration that's already in them by putting more frustration on top by sending them away and saying you can come back when you can do better, which is to the detriment of the long-term relationship. Okay, so that makes me think about, like, how do we help then young children navigate their feelings of frustration without having them or before they get physical with their peers? Like, so I'm just thinking, like, the way Hudson's kind of showing frustration to me and then, like, so I'm thinking ahead and I'm mm. like, what if this starts to happen if a toy gets taken away by a peer? And is he going to react this way to them? And how would I help him or how would I intervene if that's what I need to do? And how do I navigate that? <laughs> well, given the age that he is now at one, you should predict it coming because you're spot on. It's coming. Um, not because anything's wrong, but because everything's right. He will start to take great offense when someone takes something that he wants to play with. And because he is immature and his brain isn't yet wired up to see the alternative, he's going to be moved to act like he feels. So if someone takes something away from him, he's going to want to get it back. He's going to want to attack. So the way that we deal with this is that we have to remember supervision is key, especially with younger children. In an example of being in a public space, supervision means being close, like within arm's reach so that you can intervene before he does do what he's moved to do, which might be to hit somebody else or take something else back. In those public situations, you want to be that mom who hovers if you know that your son might be the one to whack somebody else. If it happens, of course, it's one of those things we expect it to happen with young children. Parents often say, well, should I make them say sorry? My answer to that would be you can apologize on behalf of your child in the moment, you need to remember he didn't mean to do it. 
He just wanted what he wanted when he wanted it and something blocked him from getting it. Mm-hmm. At which age should we request a story from our children? That's a huge question. My answer to that would be I don't think we can ever ask for a story um, and expect it to be a meaningful one if we've instructed it to be given. With my own girls, I've gone the route of saying, have you got a sorry in you? And because they're immature and they were little, they would look at me dead straight faced and say no. Because in that moment, they don't feel sorry. We want them to feel sorry, but we can't make another person feel remorse. So we make it safe for them to be sorry if they want to be sorry. But we can do a lot through our modeling when we apologize on behalf of the child Because of their attachment to us, they see that it's the right thing to do and they want to be like us. So ultimately, when they feel those sorry feelings inside of themselves, they'll freely give them. So I understand that we want to try to avoid those trigger words, the no and the don't. And I mean, I always see it now because if it comes out of me, Hudson laughs and I'm so (laughs) (laughs) just like, oh, Oh my God, already, (laughs) already, like, buddy. So um, I try to use language that redirects and gives positive instruction rather than, you know, hearing those negative words. So let's say with his hitting and pinching. So we go right to gentle hands, please. Ouch, that hurts, mommy. Gentle hands. And I will physically kind of stroke his hand and take his hand and gently, if it's basically with a cat, we'll gently stroke the cat together or mommy will <laughs> on his hand on my leg you know if that's where he is I'll just like gentle gentle hands so I'm trying to re- you know really reinforce this and I know it's supposed to take a long time but it's taking a really long time <laughs> so and it's gonna take a lot longer <laughs> so is there anything else I should be doing exactly what you're doing is just what he needs okay. for you to model it for him yeah and then I would also say to you, Heather, is don't be afraid of using the word no. Okay. So like there is a lot of dancing around words, trying to make it sound better. But really the underlying okay. message is no. Because you keep hearing don't say it. I'm like, but sometimes it just has to be said. It like, has feel- to be no. And right. you must understand when children are reacting to a word, it's not to the word itself. It's to the meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's the feeling behind what no represents is the, the thing that we're wanting to address. So you can pick any word that feels better to you if no is not your word. But we make things so much more difficult for ourselves because we overthink it. We want to find 10 nice ways to say no when what we really mean is no. Mm -hmm. So being okay with the word. Right, okay. And wait for the backlash because it's coming. Nobody (laughs) likes the feeling. We still, I mean, at 47, I don't like being told no when I want something, when I want it now. But it's the feeling and feeling that feeling that's going to make the difference as to whether or not our children adapt to it or not. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what is the most important thing I can do to help my children adapt in? Uh, the most important thing we can do for our children is, first of all, for us to get comfortable with them having their tears. When we can value the importance of tears, we won't be as afraid of them as we are. A lot of us want to give our children what they want because their tears make us feel so uncomfortable we feel like we're making life hard for them or we, we're making life unpleasant. When really, when we shift the way that we look at tears, we look at it as a growing opportunity. So it starts with us being okay and then being willing to take our children the distance to go from mad to sad. Sometimes when they get mad, we so want to hurry them through it that we either give them what they want 
or we shut down their feelings just to make it stop and we don't hold that safe space for them to move through that place of being really, really mad with us and then being really, really sad with us because we can't always have what we want. So that's where the secret lies, being willing to go the distance. So is it okay to comfort a crying child or am I just reinforcing unwanted behavior? I'm so glad you asked (laughs) (laughs) because I would absolutely encourage you to comfort a child that is crying. Remembering that crying is an indication that they need our help and that means they're communicating that they can't do this on their own. They need somebody there for them and we are those somebodies. So when we comfort a child, parents will say, but aren't I reinforcing that negative behavior that I didn't want? And the answer to that is no. When we're comforting the child, we're not addressing behavior. We're meeting the emotional needs of that child. We're going to get our lessons in in terms of what it is they did that we didn't like or we don't want them to do in the future or whatever it is that the lesson is. But in the moment, if they are to build resilience and to learn from what hasn't worked, they need to feel their feelings, which requires comfort. If they know that the relationship between mommy and I or daddy or I or the teacher and I is still okay, which is conveyed through the comforting, they are able to build a layer of resilience and that's when they learn their lessons. Mm -hmm. So will my child ever grow out of their tantrums? (laughs) Well, here's the really good news. Yes. Yes, nature does have a plan. We as dedicated parents think it's all up to us, which is why we jump on our one and two-year-olds thinking we need to give them all these lessons now And what we don't realize is that nature has a plan in the sense that developmentally their brains are going to wire up to be able to have what we were referring to earlier, which is the mixed feelings. When the left and right hemisphere of the prefrontal cortex wire up, children start to have what we call their mixed feelings and they stop seeing things in black and white. They're able to consider your feelings and my feelings, your perspective and my perspective, And then they are able to, in those situations where they want to hit you, consider on the other hand what I could do instead. So they start adding in their caring feelings, like part of me really hits, wants to hit you, but part of me really loves you and doesn't want to hurt you. And when they have that inner struggle inside of themselves, that's when they start containing themselves and we start to see what we call self-control. We're not going to see evidence of that until hopefully between the ages of five and seven years old. So before that, what we're doing is really preserving the relationship so that nature can kick in and do its part too. But there's no guarantee. Mm -hmm. So uh, should we make sure there's no underlying issue causing the tantrums? It's always an idea if the tantrums are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they persist beyond the ages of five and seven. Reminding ourselves that in very sensitive children, we don't see evidence of mixed feelings often before the age of nine. But, of course, in the context of what else is going on, you have to consider the bigger picture. Um, A child who has underlying issues will have other issues, not only tantrum issues. But it's always worth looking into if your child is getting older. As we always say, everyone grows older, not everyone grows up. Mm And that's when we need to look into what's really going on. Yeah, we have some adult with that problem too. <laughs> <I'm kidding. Yeah. laughs> it's called immaturity. 
<laughs> which means their brain hasn't wired up to have mixed feelings. <laughs> so Bridget, how can I stop my child from setting the tone in her home? Well, to remind yourself that you're the one in the lead. Mm-hmm. In order to create a safe space and environment in our homes, we don't want our children to be the one calling the shots and telling us how things need to be. If we find ourselves walking on eggshells around our children in order for there to be peace in our home, it's an indication of our children are not adapting like they need to. So it goes back to making it safe for them to have their feelings and as a parent not being afraid to say no when a no is needed and it's in the best interest of the child. Mm-hmm. So Heather, I think it's time for a conversation card. It's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game. Not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask. Sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week. All right. Can you please pick one and read it to us? Okay, ladies. So, so what's your favorite family tradition? I'd say something that's become a tradition in us is to go camping for the long weekend in May. And the older my children have got, the more I value this opportunity because there is no internet. When they were younger, it was just a matter of being outdoors and camping Mm. and being around the fire. And now for me, it's become more a thing of there is no internet and it's the perfect time for us to all connect and reset. And then we're able to come back into the real world. Without being mean... uh... You don't need to take the device away. You know, yeah. you don't have to. It just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's not my fault. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's um, Christmas Eve dinner, actually. Um, with my family, my dad's side is Danish and my mom's side is British. So my mom's side was always Christmas Day, but my dad's side was Christmas Eve. And when I first bought my first condo and kind of moved out to that, I was able to take that tradition um, over from my nana who used to do the Christmas Eve dinner and of course by that time it was a big help to her because she was of course getting older and um, it's always meant a lot to me to be able to have everybody over and to kind of do that for the family and um, it's worked out well too now um, married because again my husband's family does Christmas Day so I'm able to kind of continue doing my Christmas Eve and having everybody over and I'm making it a really special night because I just remember growing up and really, I mean, I love the fact that we did both. <laughs> so who doesn't love two celebrations? But I am I just love the fact that I'm able to kind of continue that tradition um, for my Nana and do now do it with my own family. Mm-hmm. It, mine is around Christmas too. My family was always uh, very big on Christmas Eve. I don't know if it's a French Canadian thing or not, but uh, yeah, we... Uh, had her own um, Christmas uh, Eve celebration and then on Christmas Day we always go to my aunt and I always loved it so everybody was there and spend all day together we get there for lunch and we sometimes we actually would stretch it until dinner time so that was a lot of fun and I actually want to do this for my own family so the 24th Mm -hmm. have a celebration for Christmas Eve with my husband babies and mother-in-law Whoever was was around me or my parents, right? I have a little bit of a distance that I have to. Every year, traveling around Mm -hmm. Christmas is not that easy. So sometimes we go, sometimes we don't. And sometimes they come, sometimes they don't. So it's a little bit hard to create tradition around distance like that, I find. Especially when you need to be present. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And another tradition, actually, we want to do is 
we want to create uh, photo shoots for memories during the summer and around Christmas. So I want to do it twice a year, get someone to take just a little mini photo shoot and to create beautiful memory other than pictures on her phone, right? I don't know if I can put this into tradition, but I think a visual little tradition like that can be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Bridget. And mm. thank you, Heather, for coming here. Thank you for your time and your contribution and in other parents' life, I'm sure it's going to help a lot. For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please contact us on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean, or you can subscribe to this podcast uh, directly on our website at parenttalk.ca. Please take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to know what you think. And also, it's a great way to let us know what other topics you would like to hear about. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.